coming up. I'm a cop, and you will respect my authority. What makes some forms of authority legitimate and others not? Illegitimate authority is gained by theft, deception, or coercion. So all state authority is illegitimate. You should resist it. Who are you to tell me what to resist? You are officially in charge of South Park's fish and wildlife. You have authority over all of them. I have authority? That's right. And people must respect it. Well, that should be fine. Just fine. Fine, just fine. Fine. Oh, no. Nothing's worse than carbon with authority, huh? We all have to be political subjects. Our guest is San Francisco State political scientist James Martell. We have all the power already. It's just that we keep giving it away. So all we have to do is not do that anymore. Authority and resistance. Maybe this will teach you to listen to authority. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Does the collapse of top-down authority mean the rise of anarchy and chaos? Or can there be authority without hierarchy? Who needs authority anyway? This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Marsh Theater in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford University campus where Ken teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're thinking about authority and resistance. You know, these are exciting times, Ken. I mean, all those top-down authority structures that once had everything in their vice-like grip, they're, they're starting to collapse. You know, it's happening in politics, in the media, in medicine, even you know, in education. And, and that's a good thing? Well, less hierarchy, more choice, more freedom. What's not to like? Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. How about the explosion in untrustworthy news sources and the implosion of the old trustworthy ones? Or, or, or the sprouting of self-declared, self-financed demagogues of every stripe and the withering away of candidates vetted and tested by thriving political parties. And just, that, that's just for starters, if what not to lie. Yeah, you sound so nostalgic, Ken. <laughs> I, 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 I plead guilty. Because whatever else you can say about those old, top-down authority structures that you think are such, were such terrible things, you know, they actually serve the people. They serve themselves and the elitist cronies. Uh, that, that's why people resisted them. And that's why they're crashing down, even as we speak. Oh, yeah, right. Leaving us with chaos in the wake of their collapse. Not chaos, Ken. Democracy. More voices having a say. Too many voices. A and no good way to decide which ones to heed and which ones to ignore. Josh, that, that's not democracy. That's cacophony. Ah, okay, democracy can get a little noisy, but... But that noise is the sound of good things emerging. When all ideas get a hearing, that's when truth happens. When each of us is free to voice our dreams and fears, that's when justice happens. Oh, that's just such a pretty picture. But some noise 
is just noise and not music at all, not the music of democracy at all. Especially when it's produced by people, you know, who flood the social world with discredited ideas, distorting propaganda, dangerous drugs, all kinds of stuff. And you know, Josh, again, that's precisely what the old authorities promised to protect us from, isn't it? They promised. Yeah, that's a good theory. But what about in practice? Who was actually silenced in practice? Not the snake oil salesman. It was the marginalized masses. They were told to shut up and do as they were told. Oh, Josh, come on. By whom? By the military-industrial complex, the bureaucratic education complex, the, the corporate medical pharmacological insurance complex. <laughs> look, look, look. I I'm not naive. I'm not going to deny that you're gaggle of hegemonic complexes you name. I'm not going to deny that sometimes they had, okay, their hidden agendas. You bet they did, Ken. That's precisely why people were right to resist them. But, but uh, yeah, even so, I'm still not convinced that our current chaos represents an improvement. Because, Josh, it's just, it's just not true that all voices deserve an equal hearing, as you seem to think. That's not true. No, I didn't say all voices deserve an equal hearing. My point is nobody's automatically entitled authority over somebody else. Authority's got to be earned if it's going to be legitimate. And those ossified authority structures you're so nostalgic for, Ken, they didn't earn their authority. They usurped it. Uh, uh, jeepers, just, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. But look, but look, even if what you say is true, uh, how, how do you think one can earn authority rather than usurping it, especially when we face such a plethora of competing voices. Isn't that the million-dollar question for you, oh, Mr. Oso Disruption? <laughs> yeah, all right, fair enough. That is the million-dollar question. And to help us think more about it, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to tell us about a classic case of old authority, the school, getting disrupted, and the students, rather than the teachers, calling the shots. She files this report. Like a lot of kids, Bart Simpson hates school. Tonight's homework assignment is... Oh, man, is it hot in here. I'd better take off my sweater. Down with... <gasps> homework? <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at it, children. The shirt makes a good point. I'm with the shirt. Homework rots. But we all know the kids who love school, like Bart's sister, Lisa. Grade me. Look at me. Evaluate and rank me. Oh, I'm good, 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 and oh, so smart. Teachers use grades to enforce authority, and that system worked on Lisa Simpson. It also worked on me. I remember staying up late at night trying to memorize the first 100 numbers of pi for an extra credit assignment. 3.14159, this is pi, followed by 2653589, circumference over diameter. My math teacher ended up giving me extra credit for baking a pie instead. Social critic Noam Chomsky says pointless assignments like that one are just another form of control. If you can guarantee lots of stupidity in the educational system, you know, like stupid assignments and things like that, you know that the only people who will make it through are people like me and like most of you, I guess, who are willing to do it no matter how stupid it is. When I was a senior in high school, I dated an anarchist. He went to a school called the Manhattan Free School, where there were no grades. He told me to follow him there, or else I would turn into a mindless robot. I told him my parents wouldn't let me. He told me parents were a form of social control. So that was that, and off I went. Pat Werner trusted me to make this choice. She founded Manhattan Free School because she believes that young people should have authority over their own education. I'd watched three children grow up from infancy, and that gave me the confidence to trust 
that all children come with gifts and capacities, and basically we need to get out of their way. At Manhattan Free School, there were no grade levels, and five-year-olds and 18-year-olds shared the same space. There were always like interesting collection of human beings trying to make a really weird system work. Lila Holmes also attended the school. Kids and a few adults vote on what rules to pass during Democratic meetings. Of course, there was one big rule called the stop rule. That was like the one non-negotiable one. If someone says stop, then you have to. Meetings often turned into philosophical debates about the pros and cons of profanity and playing video games all day. If you had a complaint about someone, you'd write it down on a piece of paper and send it to the complaint committee, which was also made up of kids. Decisions had to be made about our day-to-day -day lives that like, we cared about and that like directly affected you in like a very real way. And there wasn't like an authority above you to make that decision for you. But while I was at the Manhattan Free School, Lisa Simpson was still in me. All I wanted to do was read, write, and study for AP exams. And I finally had the time to do that. But anytime I complained about the chaos at the school, my anarchist boyfriend would shout at me, telling me I needed to participate more in the school's democracy if I wanted to be truly liberated. I definitely have a lot of memories, um, some more traumatic than others. Thomas Parker was one of the few adults in Manhattan Free School. He says anyone pushing the school in a particular direction was viewed as a threat to the group's commitment to democracy. There is a lot of clarity around what we were leaving and what we were saying no to in the world, but not a whole lot of clarity on what we were going to create in its place. What happened to the free school after I left depends on who you ask. Some former students say there was a hostile corporate takeover. Thomas says it was rebooted into school with more identity. Now it's called the Agile Learning Center. He says authority doesn't have to be a bad thing. Children naturally look to adults for signal, for clarity, for understanding. We have authority or we have power that we can either use over people or that we can use with people. What I learned from my time at Manhattan Free School is that resistance can look like a lot of different things. The next time an anarchist tells me to quit my job or quit my life and run away, I'm going to be defiant. I'm going to say, no, I'm just fine right here. There's power in going to school and there's power in staying home. And there's power in deciding to resist the resistance too. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.